My name is Jenny. My name is Ted. My name is Gray. And, and this, this is, is Anamorphology. The Invasion. The Visitor. The Encounter. The Message. The Predator. The Capture. The Stranger. The Alien. The Secret. The Android. The Forgotten. The Reaction. The Chain. The Unknown. The Escape. The Underground. The Decision. The Slow Departure. The Sound Discovery. The Proposed Threat. The Mutation. The Separation. The Deception. The Suspicious. The Unexpected. Sacrifice. The Diversion. And the Beginning. Okay. This okay. Are two. This are one and three, part two. <laughs> it averages to two. It works out. Uh, you'll remember from last time that we we did a full episode on the Visser Chronicles book with our friend Joyce, and it was great. I did a really good sixty second summary of what happened oh, in the plot. Super that was concise. Definitely sixty seconds, and not. Eight minutes. Your <laughs> clocks are all wrong. Maybe wow. we should get the eight-minute version, compress it to sixty seconds, and put it in this episode. Just, <laughs> what I'm going to do <laughs> is just read like every, every eighth word. word. Uh, it is the book in which uh, the Yerkes invent Scientology, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. also there's a courtroom drama. Yeah, there is. Objection. Overruled. Wait, aren't we a council of three? I don't know if you can be the judge. You're right. Okay. Is <laughs> the objection sustained or overruled? <laughs> Sustained. Yes. <laughs> What's your objection, Ted? Um, I don't think that's how objections work. I think you have to say what it is first. Go on. No, it's the, the council has spoken. <laughs> oh, um, no. Yeah, so what are we burning to talk about? I know we each had hundreds of things that were left <laughs> on the tip of our tongues when we cut ourselves off last oh, time. Oh, man. So we might have to do a third episode we probably if this will. one isn't fulfilling enough. Well, you can tell from the timestamp on this that that was sarcasm. <laughs> I have something that we can start with. At the beginning of the trial, Edris is accused of five different crimes. That is so mm. many crimes. A lot of different treasons. And I was just wondering if we, what we, whether we think the charges are fair based on oh, what we know of the series. Okay. Can we put Edris on trial? She's definitely guilty. Yes. It's so, done. But of what, right? Okay. So I'll read, you, I'll read you all the charges and we can go through one at a time. The Yerk, Edris 562, holding the rank of Visser 1, is charged with the following crimes. Ooh. Treason by incompetence, which carries a sentence of death by Dracon Beam. Treason by violation of established procedure, which carries a sentence of death by Dracon Beam. Treason by sympathy with a subject species, which carries a sentence of death by Kendrona starvation. Treason by contact with the foul Andalite race, which carries a sentence of death by torture. Treason by murder of subordinate Yerks, which carries a sentence of exile to punishment duty. Five charges of treason, four death sentences, and Edris's greatest fear is death by Kendrona starvation. And she thinks it's her most likely prospect. All right, so I'm going to go through those again. Okay, this is very exciting. I have thoughts on all of this. Treason by incompetence. What's the evidence, and do we think she is guilty? So, I feel like if we're addressing incompetence, it has to be a relative thing. Like, it has to be by the standards of her species. So we see three Yerk Vissers in this series so far, if I recall correctly. We have Visser Three, who has been wildly incompetent at everything he's tried on Earth. Terrible job. We have Visser Four, who totally failed to capture Lyra and then totally failed to rewrite Earth's history in what wasn't even a good plan to begin with. And then we have Visser One, who does a pretty good job. She discovers a class five species and then she does a pretty good job setting up this invasion of Earth. I don't really think she has done anything wrong on the incompetence front. How do we feel about Book 15, The Underwater Base with the Sharks? That was her thing. 
I mean, it's not a bad plan. Hammerhead sharks are very good at... I mean, they would have done what she wanted them to do had it not been for those meddling Andalite bandits. Is she responsible yeah. for the fact that they broke a window and the whole place, you know, basically imploded? She should have come up with better window technology. Okay. okay. That that really is her only incompetence. But, like, that's fairly mild as things go. Like, poor windows. Not mm-hmm. the worst piece of incompetence. I feel like the Andalite, so-called Andalite bandits interfering with that operation is really more on the shoulders of Visser Three, Yeah. Because he's had them on the planet with him for 15 books at that point. Who knows how many months. He should have gotten rid of them earlier. While we're talking about whether or not Visser One is guilty of any of these crimes. Can we also talk about whether Visser 3 is? Yes. He is guilty of incompetence. Treason by incompetence. Yes. Yikes. Guilty. Do we even need to, like, enumerate the things that he's done? No. Okay. Well, yeah, Visser 1 does later. She brings up (laughs) the anti-morphing ray and the free will serum and all this stuff. The worst thing about the anti-morphing ray was that it probably would have worked. He just handled it so incompetently. Exactly. Yep. It's the right adjective for him. He installed taxons into the floor and then forgot to use them. (laughs) His worst crime. So Visser 1 is bad at windows. Visser 3 is bad at floors. Okay. (laughs) And everything else. And everything else. Yes. I mean, in this book, he brings in a dying tiger and bear in order to prove that he has killed the Andalite bandits. Couldn't he even bring in the correct number of animals? He's fought them how many times? Visser 1 has faced them like twice and is like, oh, there are only four of them? Why aren't there six? Yes. Also, and this is important, the Andalite bandits are definitely going to attack again. What exactly is your plan here? (laughs) Treason by incompetence. Done. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Even if they hadn't attacked the trial, what was he going to blame his failures on Earth for in the future? Yeah. New Andalite bandits? Uh, so oh. the, the council has to deliver a verdict. I say not guilty. For Visser 1. Not I say guilty. not guilty. Not guilty. All right. For Visser 3. Oh, guilty. Guilty. Yeah, Great. for sure. Okay. The next crime is treason by violation of established procedure. This is a stupid rule. What does that mean? We need way more detail. Like, it just... if. You is know, this, years have been doing something some one is way. Is it treasonous to break the it? law? Like all illegal activity is punishable by death? Is that what this is saying? I guess. Or it must have to be a certain level of established procedure because it's procedure. It's not. It's so not it's, even it's, rules. It's not even. It's a, it's norms. It's, it's just violating yeah, norms. Yeah. It's like oh, you walked to the cafeteria the wrong way. We're going to kill you. Yeah, this is just like a law that they they trot out whenever they're like, we feel like this person's guilty of something, but we can't come up with what. Uh, They did stuff kind of differently. Okay, well, so, but can we present any evidence of norm breaking? Because I think there's a lot of rule breaking that is normatively okay. So Mm -hmm. it's like Mm -hmm. definitely established procedure to bully and murder your subordinates, even though that's technically illegal. Yeah, and she had established her own procedure on that moon base where she was threatening and then almost killing all of her groups of trainees. So that was established procedure. Right. The thing where she stole the ship and went to Earth was a violation of rules and also presumably procedure, but she was already she was already exonerated for that. What about her actions in book 30, where she kind of goes rogue and she's trying Ooh. to expose the hork on her own? Like, I that seems like the kind of thing where she wasn't really doing anything wrong, but she was trying to go around the established Mm -hmm. procedures on Earth Mm -hmm. and one-up Visser 3 for her own reasons. So maybe that's the kind of thing where... Certainly allying with the Animorphs, whether or not they're Andalites, which we'll get to in a couple of charges, 
Like, that is a violation of established procedures. Yeah. That's a good point. I think she's guilty of this one. I'm, I'm torn between saying that she's guilty and can we nullify the charge as a jury? I don't that... like I don't like the law because I think it's or I don't like the charge because I think it's too vague. Sure, but that's just because the Yorks are bad at you know at, at everything. Rules, yeah, but I do think her allying with the Animorphs is treason against the Yorks. Are we role playing as the Council oh. of Thirteen or are we as the Council of Animorphology judging her? I mean, I feel like we have to judge her not like was she morally right, but like did she commit treason against the Yorks, which could in itself be morally right. She also let the Animorphs free in Book Five. Mm. Yeah. I think both book five and book 30, she is guilty of this mm-hmm. charge. All right. I also say guilty. Guilty. Visser three. I don't know. He's deeply incompetent, but has he actually... Ooh, the thing where he had the fake Andalite bandits attack the meeting? Yeah. Also, I feel like a lot of his plans are not established procedure. If we're assuming that... And this is a big assumption. If we're assuming that the Council of 13 is vaguely overseeing the Yurk Empire somehow, mm-hmm. and that they have determined that the correct way to invade Earth is with the uh, slow and steady mm-hmm. infiltration mm-hmm. method, then some of his more egregious plans might be a violation Ooh. of established procedure. But it seems like he still is sticking to the slow method. Has he gone beyond that? Well, something like the Velik is definitely Ooh, like yeah. really risky. Let's get a, a space monster to terrorize yeah. this town. And the Andalite toilet thing. <laughs> exactly Do you think they really also, had procedure against doing that? There's also a whole like accounting and budgetary thing. Like the Yurks have very little resources to work with, uh-huh. and uh-huh. so. We'll get to the subordinates thing oh, later, yeah. but Visser 3 is killing tons of valuable hork hosts, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. he's wildly mismanaging his funds by building all of these weird secret Ooh. facilities and investing in all of these plans that never work. Okay, um, so but that's more incompetence, I think. That's maybe and we already found him guilty yeah. of that. Yeah, I don't know. Does the thing where he had fake Andalite bandits attack the trial? I think that that's fall like a fair under? game. That's okay, like fair game all right. politics. Okay. Then I think he's actually I think he's probably not guilty. Doing, yeah. Not guilty. Yeah. Not, not guilty. guilty. So they're each guilty of one, not guilty of one so far. All right. Treason by sympathy with a subject species. Ooh, I think I Mr. Think one's evidence might is have to... book five for sure, book yeah. thirty for sure. She she mm-hmm. works with the Andalite bandits. Oh, I don't. I wasn't thinking of that because I don't think that was out of sympathy for them. I think that was stabbing a fellow York in the back. But what oh. she recounts in this book mm. of her living as human for a year, and she still has this intense sympathy for, like, I mean, sympathy right. isn't exactly the right word, but these she intense feelings for her She's her like, twins. well, not all humans suck. Yeah, these I have feelings, children. like the fact that she is willing to sabotage the Earth invasion. For these two kids, mm-hmm. I think that's sympathy with a subject species. I think okay. so too. I was mis- misthinking about the charge, but you're yeah, you're correct. Guilty. Guilty. Yeah. Guilty. Visser three. three. Nope. Uh, he he does have an interesting like nemesis situation with Elfengor. I think that's probably cool though. Under also, your they're not a subject species. Oh, oh true. Yeah. The Andalites don't count at all. Not for this one. I don't think he has any sympathy with any other species. Yeah. Okay. Wow, he's only guilty of one so far. Not guilty. Yeah. Not guilty. All right. So this is, I guess, what I was thinking of. Treason by contact with the foul and yes. race. Contact is an interesting word. Yeah, because 
Doesn't Visser 3 constantly have contact with a foul Andalite? <laughs> I, I think we have to assume that him infesting an Andalite doesn't count, but there have been several times in the Animorph series where he struck a deal with the Animorphs, thinking they're Andalites. Now, only one of them is an Andalite, but still one of them is an Andalite, so I guess even on a technicality, it counts. Well, right, so the thing is, is it contact is too vague? Because is mm-hmm. it, yeah. like forbidden contact or like secret contact yeah like obviously he's gonna shout at the fighting the andalite bandits or fighting andalites that are Uh attacking you is not that is contact but it shouldn't be treasonous Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so i do think the kind of when he strikes a deal yeah like in nine or 24 yeah those those were what i was thinking of yeah. yeah but it's still questionable i mean it's like in a battle situation i don't know they still might find him guilty of it does mr three ever proactively get in touch with the animorphs has he ever tried to huh. reach out to them for some reason? He's trapped them a few times. I don't know that he has. Like, for like a non... He's, he hasn't been like, you know, oh gosh, I've got Helmicrons again. Like, <laughs> he hasn't left a voicemail for them. Right. <laughs> he did respond to the thought speak message Axe was sending out in book four, but presumably it was to go kill yeah. the Andalite, so I don't think you can hold that against him. Another interesting wrinkle is the fact that we learned in book eight, and maybe a little bit in book 18, that the Yurks are sort of infiltrating the Andalite homeworld oh, yeah. in some other way, right? So they, yeah. And there are treasonous Andalites. Mm-hmm. So it is. this is another one of those rules that... Presumably, if you looked up the, the actual books, rule, it would have right. a lot more clauses. Bet it wouldn't. It's <laughs> a good point. And does being in touch with the Andalite bandits, does Mr. Three get off on a technicality because he's really dealing with, like, Jake... More yeah. than he is with Axe. Because I think Visser 1 gets off on the technicality here because Visser 1 never really deals with Axe. Or at least not to any significant degree. She's dealing with humans. Right. Of course, she doesn't know that. Yeah, I don't think you get off on that technicality. I mean, she knows that. I think what she does in Visser doesn't ooh, ooh, count as this. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Yeah. Okay. In a different version of this, because I, I just, I love the whole trial feeling of this. It's uh-huh. so silly, but I absolutely love it. <laughs> Because it's not at all, like, it's it's a show trial, right? Mm-hmm. But that means that it's just super fun in the way that TV mm-hmm. trials are fun. Right, right, yeah, it's not like a boring actual evidence trial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But so <laughs> the thing would be, I just can just imagine them if they were going charge by charge, and mm-hmm. she would obviously be guilty already, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah. let's assume that she can weasel her way out of it or mm-hmm. cast the blame on Visser 3 or undermine the evidence in other ways. When they get to treason by contact with the foul Andalite race, <laughs> She leans into it and she's like, well, no, I did contact them and I did contact them. But what do you mean? They're humans. I knew they were humans all along. <laughs> and then turn the tables on Mr. Three, right? Like it's a perfect time to play that card. That's and then so the council's true. like, oh, that's true. Mr. One was just dealing with humans, right? And not sympathetically, right? Uh-huh. It's amazing. Yeah, but from all that they know. Jenny buys it. It's like, no. I still think that would have been a great moment. I do think it would have been a really good moment. But <laughs> you're right that she does deal with who she people she thinks are Andalites in order to hurt Visser 3. But right. she could lie and say she knew they were humans all along, mm-hmm. is I guess what I'm saying. But so it's she's guil- true, but I think she's guilty of it. Yeah, I mean, I think from the purposes of what the Council of Thirteen knows, not what we as readers know. I think it should be what we as readers know, and we as readers know that she didn't know. And also, it's, you know, if you talk about, like, crimes like conspiracy and stuff, you don't actually have to do anything wrong. It's like the right, intent right. The intent right. matters way more for the criminal yeah. finding. Agreed. So I think I think she's guilty. Do we think Visser 3 is guilty? Well, because of those couple of times that he uh, made deals with them. 
Yeah. Yeah. Helmicrons don't... uh, (laughs) He's allowed to tail fight Ags. But I think teaming up with them to defeat the Helmicrons, I think that would... What about back in Andalite Chronicles? Mm -hmm. Was he guilty of this? When he is going up against Elfin Gore and Alarin. That was pretty... I think it was all adversarial, yeah. yeah. I don't think he ever ever allied with them. Okay, so Visser 1 guilty... Mm-hmm. This is three guilty. 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 Though um, he's, I think he, it's, it's a, it's a milder charge in his case. Finally, treason by murder of subordinate Yerks. This three is guilty. Yes. Mister one is also guilty. Is she? Who'd she kill? She admits that she does this. She kills the Horkajir on the moon base, and she admits. Oh, but that she, she doesn't kill the Yerk. Oh. She like saves the Yerk and is like, take him to the pool. She's like, I did this every time. No, you're right. Yeah, you're right. And SM is dying. She doesn't kill him. I mean, if he had stayed with her, she would have let him continue to get Kendra on a raise. Right. That's manslaughter of subordinate years. <laughs> and this is specifically murder. Right. Yeah. I don't think I don't think she's guilty of this one. I think she's guilty of the middle three and not yeah. this one. So and did they... Fizzer three is guilty. Was it, yeah, three, no was it three charges each? I think Fizzer three had fewer. Fizzer three... Oh, maybe. Let's see. Fizzer three had incompetence. We did not give him sympathy. Incompetence, oh, yeah. contact, and murder. Yeah. And Fizzer three has... Uh, procedure and viscer one sympathy and yes. viscer one has procedure sympathy yes. and contact yeah viscer two doesn't exist and viscer four is dead <laughs> viscer four is dead yeah all right they're each they're equally guilty this all right is why the council so yeah finds they, like they're this. all going to they're going to be shot with a dracon beam then kendrona mm-hmm. starved wait viscer three doesn't get kendrona starved oh you're right viscer three uh, gets killed by torture and is, then um, exiled the same, the same thing i mean <laughs> yeah okay. it is Amusing that exile to punishment duty is the <laughs> the only price you pay for killing subordinates. Yep. Clearly, they don't care about that. But if you violate procedure, uh, you cross your T's in the wrong direction. Does anyone do that? That's that would be so weird. Okay, so here's a question: There are a bunch of these charges that have different death sentences. Mm-hmm. I have to assume they're ranked. So, like, if you get convicted of multiple of these crimes, you obviously aren't getting all the death sentences. Do we think it's probably like Kendrona starvation is the worst, then torture, then Dracon beam to the head, then exile, obviously? Yes. Okay. Yes. Kendrona starvation, worse than torture? It kind of is torture, so it's hard to say. But I guess maybe your torturer has more latitude in how you die if it's done by torture. Textually, the one the Visser one is most worried about is the Kendrona starvation. Mm -hmm. Yes. True. Possibly because she's most guilty of that, but... (laughs) (laughs) Well, also, they're slugs, so Kendrona starvation seems like... Possibly one of the worst things you could do to them, mm. because, like, you can't break their fingers. <laughs> so we did have this thing where Visser 1 is in Ava's head, and Ava's body is damaged by, you know, the Animorphs throwing her off a cliff. And she's like, I couldn't separate myself from the pain without losing control of the host. But presumably, if you're being tortured to death, you don't care about losing control of the host. So you could probably separate yourself to a large degree. Mm. I wonder if they have any methods like Taylor used on Tobias to like keep the Yurk engaged with the host so they feel the pain. Why wouldn't you just, you know, lock up the host and take the Yurk out and lecture it? Oh, you think just like directly torturing the Yurk? Yeah. Because they don't have any fingers to break. <laughs> it's a good point. Put them in a really stinky pool. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's rough. Lots of heavy metals. All right, well, good trial, everybody. Yeah. Well done. She's guilty. It's rough. They're both very guilty. So if sympathy with a subject species is a capital crime, does the crime apply to, like, sympathy with any member of the subject species? Because like, how does that apply to if you have sympathy for your host? Like, Chapman's Yerk yeah. um, well, it's, clearly had some amount of sympathy for his host. To me, this is part of the, like, 
it's part of the the fascist ideology that the Yurks mm-hmm. are mm-hmm. going for here, right? It's like the Yurks are inherently superior and everybody is inferior. And, you know, maybe there are some exceptions, but you have to constantly perform that dominance. And mm-hmm. like, sim- like that kind of sympathy with an individual has to be transactional or contingent mm-hmm. on some benefit that they're providing or some other thing. But mm-hmm. like genuinely admitting that, I don't know, a subject species can never be a person because that, mm-hmm. that breaks down the whole ideology behind what they're doing. I don't know, because when Visser 1 is on trial, part of her defense is these humans are really complicated. They are not sub Like, she says that to Garoff. And she's found guilty. Well, that's true. But, like, I feel like if that's part of her defense, she can't think that admitting that is a capital crime. Mm-hmm. And I think they do have this, you know, enmity, but, like, also respect for the Andalites. Like, they don't think Andalites are sub so I don't know if they have, they certainly think Yurks are more important, but I don't know how much it's part of their ideology. That so, like... Well, I guess this is, this is really interesting. So I think definitely they feel superior to Ged and Horkajir mm-hmm. and Taxan hosts. I mean, they do seem to be if canonically that, more intelligent than Ged's and Horkajir. Well, but so if, the, if the Andalites are in a different category, religion. let's say the Yurks win and mm-hmm. the mass infestation of Andalites. Mm-hmm. Do you think? Do you think their ideology then changes to to say, oh, Andalites, you know, they weren't so tough after all. Now that the obstacle is gone, that like they find a reason to yeah, look down you're on them, right? Or is it is it that actually like a new kind of thing where it's like now we have found our perfect like Yurk and Andalite is perfect, whatever you know, some other kind of thing. I don't think they would see it as like a perfect alliance because presumably the Andalites would still be screaming in their heads. But they probably would come up with some different reason to look down on them. Like, maybe it wouldn't be they're unintelligent. Maybe it would be they're, you know, so smart, and yet we outmaneuvered them. We are obviously superior. And maybe they would start to think that, like, have to start to think that they're smarter. What do you think they think of the escort? They don't know about the escort. Or what would they think about the escort? I don't know. Because it is a symbiotic relationship, does each half respect the other species? I don't know. We really don't get a view of that at all. I persist in saying that that is the idea. <laughs> I did have a question about That's the escort. So we had this whole thing that kept coming up in this book about Yerks don't, if they don't experience romantic love or they don't, certainly don't have partnerships like our marriages. They don't have children in the same way. They don't live to see their children. They don't have that parent-child bond. There does seem to be this open question of like, what kind of bonds do the Yerks have? And I was wondering, like, do the escort have, do they have children? Do they have spouses? Well, yeah, the Yurks talk about their pool, right? Yeah, they have And we don't know if that's more of like a, if that's like a hometown or a family region or a family lineage or... Didn't we get in the second book, we got Visitor 3 saying something about Chapman's like pool sister or something? Right, right. And then we also got uh, Aftran talking about her brother... Then the Yerk in eight, who has his like other Yerk that he is really attached to, and it's unclear if it's like a romantic thing or like particularly the one in eight makes me wonder. It's like, do Yerks not feel romantic love at all, or is it just really suppressed? Is it really rare that they do? Is it like sort of the inverse of like being a romantic like in our society, where like 
relatively few people are and it's sort of like not always recognized as a thing and it's like yurks are all aromantic and actually being like alloromantic is like very unusual i'm trying to remember what aftran says about it because i feel like aftran says says something at some point it's like we don't under like we don't feel love or we don't feel like hmm. there's a whole question of Nature nurture that's very hard to answer here. And that's true. I was going to say the Yurks have pools and the Escort have guilds, right? So I love the the theory that there are culturally different Yurks back on the home planet. Then what force, if not, you don't necessarily need to feel romantic love or whatever, but the three Yurks who come together to create Yurk children. Mm-hmm. We don't know anything about how they feel about that or how they choose partners whether there is physical attraction or... I was wondering about the physical attraction bit because at one point, Essam is explaining why his host, the movie producer, like puts up with or like hangs out with with Visser One's host, Jenny Lines, and it's like he feels physical attraction for her. And, and Visser One's like, what? And he's like, it is a, you know, idiosyncratic reaction related to the mating instinct. I wonder if it... because so, so, like, the Yorks do a lot by smell and touch. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's more like, you know, whatever it is to feel or sense pheromones. I mean, that goes into human attraction as well in kind mm-hmm. of a way that we can't consciously relate to. But mm-hmm. maybe it's more like the way hive animals interact, yeah. where they're, like, different kind of pheromones that get put out. I could imagine that feeling very transactional or like tons of different feelings or like you know there's no way to know what that would be like but it it could be very the way humans become aroused could be very different from the yurks i would suspect it does seem likely that this thing where three of them come together and then split into a million pieces is like a biological imperative that only comes upon them at a certain time it's not like humans where like you know you can be attracted to someone at any time like it seems like it's probably something that like hits them like according to the pool you know climate and how many yurks are needed and there are probably a lot of different factors right Maybe they choose it, maybe they don't. It's very, like, very opaque, that whole thing. I can see why they didn't get into great detail on it in a middle grade series. I mean, <laughs> yeah, but heaven forbid. I guess this is the... And also, we don't know that many Yerks who haven't had human hosts. So mm-hmm. and my other headcanon about what it's like to be a Yerk is just that there's way more bleed between the host and the yerk mind than the yerks think like they sort of <laughs> think we're in control but the humanity of um, aftran and chapman's yerk and yeah even edris to some extent is almost certainly a reflection of the host that they are in yeah right? we talked about crediting karen with a lot when we were talking about 19 right probably karen like the parts of karen that are still part of aftran's brain are still responsible for some of at least mm-hmm. like influencing her attitude toward the peace movement right. which makes the idea of attraction and love in particular that much more complicated because mm-hmm. when i was just looking to see how they describe the affection between Edris and Essam. Mm. And Hildy, who was Essam's host, says she was Essam's wife. He was in love with her. So very clearly the Yerk was in love with and it's Allison, either Allison's named. Right. So Visser 3 says, she, this Allison Kim, this Edris 562, this Subvisor 409, she was in love with him as well. And so it's like the Yerk and the human are both named there. Um, was in love with him and 
Hildy says, yes, Essen was sure of that. So it's just that that bleed, I think, is important because there's no real yeah. way to tell. So when um, Visser 3 asks, like, about Edris, he says, oh, you mean Allison. Right, like, exactly. He knew that Edris was a part of it, but he kind of saw them, I guess, as one mm-hmm. being because he can't interact with them separately, obviously. Right, which is interesting given that he is no longer infested. You know, he obviously has separation from Essen. Right, but, but he... All of his interactions with Allison and mm-hmm. with Edris were sort of as this one unit. Yeah. It's a really disturbing thing to think about, because it, it's sort of like the idea that you can't tell. I'm thinking back to how we, we learn how awesome Visser 1 was to Marco's dad mm-hmm. um, for those two years before she disappeared, mm-hmm. and how, like, if you're trying to think about it accurately, is it like, from his perspective, he was still in love with Ava, even mm-hmm. though none of... Like, it was a completely one-sided relationship. It's almost like her her brain got swapped with somebody else's, who was yeah. also, like, a very good actor or whatever. And I guess Visser, what Visser 1 did was heavily influenced by right. Ava's mind. Right, she certainly mind. was trying to be as much like Ava as possible. Right. So it's not just, like, a random person wearing Ava's face. It's a random person wearing Ava's face who's then trying to be right. Ava. I guess Which is a little less disturbing, like, but still bad. You know, if you two suddenly swapped brains, right? It <laughs> you would, be... would know so fast. <laughs> no, what I'm saying is I feel like the way that you, the way, just the way that people move, people's yeah, body language yeah, and yeah, the way that they yeah. talk, right? Like who you are is embodied yeah. in a way. Yeah, you so, definitely would know, I mean, mannerisms, but also mm-hmm. style of speaking. and Right. And, and the Yerks and... say that, they acknowledge that, like, yeah, well, when you infest a new host, you sort of have to kind of, the best way forward is to just kind of act like they would normally act, right? Mm-hmm. As some adopts Lowenstein's, like, posture. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's weird that they're good at it. Right. That the Yerks are good at mimicking yeah. humans. Yeah. I right. find it very bizarre. Oh, just like implausible that they would be good at I it? I find it implausible. I find it implausible that they would be able to do it so smoothly mm-hmm. without anyone mm-hmm. noticing. Because every time we get more information about from a Yerk, it's always about how hard it is and uh-huh. they're fighting. And to be able to do that and still act as that person in their day-to-day life, in their going to work and interacting with their friends and family, it just seems like that would be crazy difficult. Well, so in book two, we saw the Chapmans sitting around, not looking at the TV, just sitting blankly in the living room. I feel like that might have been a conception of how the Yerks behave that evolved a little throughout the series, because then when we get Marco's dad's perspective in 10, it was like, oh, your mom was a great, like, just like the perfect wife for those two years. She couldn't possibly have been sitting blankly. Like, I think maybe that was more of a, like, pod person wipes you out idea of of these aliens that, like, sort of became more sophisticated and complex as the series went on, and we got to actually know some Yerks. Mm -hmm. But that thing with Marco's dad... And with, like, Ava as a controller, like, the more I think about it, the more ridiculous it is that she was able to be, quote-unquote, the perfect, like, partner. Like, they were able to have this perfect love, I think Well, it just reflects says. poorly on Marcus dad. Well, I yeah, but... that's what I said back in 10. Yes. <laughs> but this thing where we conjecture that, like, okay, well, she's probably not wasting time with, like, squabbles or whatever... But she was also running an invasion and so must have had a lot of priorities that weren't the family. And I feel like having priorities that are different than your spouse's would inevitably lead to 
some conflict. Like, it's not like she doesn't have anything else to do and so can just be, like, the perfect wife and mother and no one will suspect. Like, didn't she have to, like, spend a lot of time doing other stuff? Did she really want to put in the energy that it took to, like, smooth that over entirely? Uh, Yeah. The only way this makes sense to me is if she is such a good leader that after, like, by the time she was Mm -hmm. Ava, Mm -hmm. it was an operation that was running itself. And Mm -hmm. so she would get the reports, she would make the decisions... Mm-hmm. But she didn't have to get her hands dirty and could just play mom. Uh, I don't know, off even of her like own. getting the reports, like you would have so much information to absorb. She must be just incredibly good. She I must so. be like the best leader ever. <laughs> I look yes, so skeptical. I just, there's so little evidence of that. <laughs> well, no, she has one of those hologram things that we saw in book two in their basement, right? Oh, and so yep, yep, yep. She just hangs out in the basement. Maybe yeah. she has like a. I mean, I guess at this Maybe point, Marco studio, goes right? to school. Yeah. Right. She goes to her studio and then just talks to people. She's on uh-huh. a long conference call all day. You know? Yeah. And she's like, well, are you going to make me, you know, you're going to make me come over there? And then they're like, <laughs> no, no, I just will do it. Yeah, maybe she had, like, subordinate Yerks bringing her groceries and stuff, and she maybe... did. Was she an artist? Do we know that? that oh, no, I don't know. I'm just oh, imagining, okay. like, yeah. this is, like, my space that no one can come to yeah, yeah, the studio yeah, or yeah. office or something. She probably got some subordinate to make art for her, and she was like, look, I made some art. That's what I did. What if she just with. moved all of her... What if everybody in their little, like, suburb was also a control? <gasps> like, she just... So she doesn't have to go anywhere. The home base is just her oh, house, man. It's like the Stepford Wives community <laughs> situation. It, I Why agree. didn't she infest her husband and son? I agree that it doesn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> but but we know the answer to that. That to me is totally plausible. It's oh. because she wants the pure experience That's, of yeah. being That's Ava. true. She, she's That's just true. like reveling in mm-hmm. having Ava's life. And it's like, oh, I get to be the mom that I always knew I could be. <laughs> it seemed like that was maybe on a level that she didn't want to admit. But yeah, that does make sense that yeah she would infest them. I mean, it does. It does. Mm-hmm. And, a, and a lot of this is, from a, an individual's perspective, it makes a lot of sense. I think where it falls apart for me is on a species level. That as an invasion strategy, you infest those two people. Yeah. I don't, I don't necessarily care that you want to experience being a wife and mother. It doesn't matter. Our invasion will be safer if the, everyone in your family is infested. Do that thing. Yeah, so this is tangentially related to what you just said. I'm curious about how much they're doing this invasion by putting these Yerks in these people's heads and telling them to pretend to be human. Mm -hmm. And Ava already knows how difficult it is to do that without having that sort of bleed and like falling into the lives Mm -hmm. of the people you're infesting. They must just have Yerks doing this all over the place. I think I said this last time, but like... Is it unusual that she started to feel these no, things? No, it can't be, because like... if, if someone's spouse has to travel a lot, we know that won't work for Kendrona reasons, right? So mm-hmm. are you going to not infest the super valuable politician, you know, police officer, scientist, just because their spouse can't be infested? No, mm-hmm. you're going to do what Ava's doing, yeah. or what Edris is doing. But I just mean that there must be Yerks who are getting addicted to humans. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah. That, okay. yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. You're also right about the other thing, but like... There must be so many Yerks who want these feelings. And like, we talked last time about how this series has, in theory, the idea that different species have different brains. But in practice, they all sort of think like humans, because that's what's compelling narratively to humans reading this series. 
And, you know, we aren't quite imaginatively advanced enough, I guess, to be able to create these actual different ways of thinking that we can then sympathize with. And I think there's something happening here with the emotions that's in the same vein that's like, yeah, in theory, Yurks don't feel romantic love. They don't feel this parental love. But like here, given the opportunity, they totally fall, like fall in love, like have these kids that they really care about. And it's sort of like, oh, yeah, all brains are the same and all emotions are the same, too. It's hard to write different brains. It's really true. And it's very compelling to write people having emotions that are powerful to humans because they feel powerful in the text. Oh, right. I was going to say, especially if you want to make vaguely sympathetic characters. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, even Chapman's Yerk has to have a tiny bit of sympathy for Melissa in order for us to accept that Yerk as an individual. Mm -hmm. And so... Certainly for Fisser 1, there's a necessity for them to show some of those human emotions in order for us to sympathize with that character. It is interesting that we continue to have this sort of dearth of Yerk emotional life. Like, we now have seen most, much of the life of this one Yerk. And her most complex, like most emotionally complex, like Bridget's experiences have been because of the human she invested. I was thinking when we were talking about like attraction, like how much of like attraction and romantic love has a physical component, or at least like the physical presence of the other person, whether it's appearance based or just like the way they exist in space is like part of it for us. And so if you're a Yerk, the way you relate to other Yerks is sort of filtered through these bodies and like it can never be just Yerk and Yerk. And I was like, no, wait, but they could just do that in the Yerk pool if they didn't feel like they needed these hosts. So I, I mean, there's no basis for this, but I'm assuming that Edris is not, Edris's personality does not reflect the personality of most Yerks. She's like the top Yerk general. She's also, probably not yeah, typical. Yeah. She's a, she's a complete narcissist, right? Mm-hmm. Like everything mm-hmm. that she does is about making herself feel good and powerful. And you could even, that's an interesting way to read her quote unquote addiction to Allison Cam. It's just mm-hmm. like, now that I have a human host, I have all these feelings that make me feel really good. So why shouldn't I get that? I'm the best, you know, mm-hmm. Yerk that's ever, mm-hmm. that's ever Yerked. And, you know, it's but like, she's not oh. willing to sacrifice anything else in order to have that. Yeah, exactly. And so it's like, oh yeah, I can I can be in love with Essam and we'll have this awesome human marriage or whatever. And is it a relationship of equals? No, I'm going to go back to the council <laughs> and call down a new Candrona and blow up the whole thing. And uh-huh. he got upset because he actually is having complicated emotions, yes. right? And yeah. someone's like, why aren't you doing what's best for me, Essam? <laughs> That's what everyone should do all the time, right? And I mean, but we do see the average Yerk personality is, seems to be like Temrash, Right, so like, maybe, maybe we have our war guild theory, but like, I do think (laughs) that like Chapman's Yerk and the guy from Eight and Aftran for sure, Tidwell's Yerk, Tidwell's Yerk, they should. There is a lot of complexity. Yeah, we don't know the average one is like. Right, we uh, we haven't had a Yerk Chronicles where it's like you get the perspective of a right, you know, average Joe Yerk. Like Mm -hmm. Essam's point of view. If this was Edris and Essam flipping back and forth, Mm -hmm. that would have been so cool. I mean, I, I love that we still get his sort of statement on it. He's like, nope, this is completely immoral. I'm not on board with this. And you have to wonder how many Yerks in Essam's situation would feel like that. Or how many Yerks, if they independently arrived on Earth, would reach Essam's conclusion versus Edris's conclusion. Because, I mean, mm-hmm. she is this sort of world-conquering narcissist. Like, she's maybe not typical. I found it really interesting how she comes to the conclusion that humans are not sub-Yerk. And doesn't draw from that any following conclusions that, like, therefore we shouldn't take them over. Like, it's not that she thinks it's justified, oh, because they're weaker. Like, she doesn't see any need to justify it. She's just like, we can, so we do. Uh-huh. 
while we're talking about Mr. One's personality, <laughs> I really like the passage where she goes sailing in the, uh, the prologue. Ooh, yeah. yeah. And so she, she says, sailing is one of the best things about being in a human. It was such a perfect blend of power and subtlety, bending to the inevitable and yet resisting great forces, dangerous and exhilarating. You skimmed along between sea and sky, a part of each, trusting neither. Oh, that's so mm, her. It's so good. I wrote that down in my notes, too, because I was like, this is how she goes through life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She wants to balance these incredibly powerful forces and likes living on the edge where she can almost not quite survive, but, like, she's going to do it. Do we think she was actually good at sailing? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, why would she not be? Just wondering how far <laughs> that metaphor extends. She was pretty good at finding a class five species. Yes. I'm not sure that's the same as balancing the powerful forces of the sea and sky. She also survived this trial, so... She did. It's a good point. Several members of the Council of Thirteen did not. Uh, There's another moment at the trial. I'm sure Ava comments on this, actually. But when they're like, okay, the only way to know the truth of this is for us to get a full memory dump. And we don't normally do that for viscers because Mm -hmm. it's prying or whatever. And she feels so violated by even the thought, mm-hmm. right? And she does not connect the dots to, like, this is what you do whenever you infest another person. Right? Ava, so does. Ava, Ava does. Ava does. Right, but it's, it's yeah. so far from Edris's understanding, even after she's been uh-huh. in Allison Cam for a year and had all this other yeah. stuff, right? So, like... Well, no Yerk ever has to worry about being infested. Right. Until they do our Yerk inside a Yerk inside a Yerk plan. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah, I just, I really want... I want that to happen to Viscers 1 and 3. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure which way would be more satisfying. It would be great. Oh, man. Either way would be great. They would hate it so much. Can you do it like in Ouroboros? They both <laughs> infest each, each other. other. I don't know. It's like I don't a, know if you can do that. that. It's like a stop hitting yourself type situation. <laughs> well, okay. So I guess well, we've Edris never done, could infest. We've never done two Yerks, one Andalite. We don't know if that's possible. <laughs> I like this is really horrible. They're like if you both start infesting at the same, <laughs> same time, time, you have like little yerk tails sticking out of your ears. <laughs> they don't fit. They don't they totally each get fit. One but they half each get of the one... brain, and then it really would be containing your own traitor. <laughs> well, if it's Mister One and Mister Three, then one hundred percent. So you had, you had a real point, Jenny. Please, it wasn't a very important point. I just liked how it was. Um, we'll only take the memory from that specific time. I'm pretty sure that's not how memory is stored, but like, what if it is how it's stored in a yerk? Maybe this is how their brains are different. I really liked the, we get the yerk side's theories on the Andalite bandits. Mm. Yeah! Yeah, so Visser 3 is pretending that the Andalite bandits are attacking and Visser 1 is observing. Four of them. Two Harpajir, the tiger, the bear. Four. Now that was wrong. There were at least six, not four. Where were the other two? Most of all, in virtually every record we had of the bandits, one of them had usually appeared as an Andalite. There were all sorts of theories to explain this. This one Andalite did not possess the morphing power. Or else the Andalites felt they needed to keep one of their people in true form as a way to show the flag. I knew or at least guessed the truth. The always visible Andalite was a deception to keep us from realizing that at least some of the six were humans. I feel like, one, the Yerks are super dumb for not realizing <laughs> the possibility that not all of them are Andalites. Mm-hmm. Two, especially because they know that, that uh, the morphing cube is on Earth. Like... Come on, Yerks. But the law of zero is kindness. <laughs> That's true. Visor 3 knows about it because he's in Aloran's head. So he's like, the Andalites would never do this. The end. 
This thing where Visor 3 knows the Andalites really well, quote unquote, knows the Andalites really well, might just be coming back to bite him. Like that, Uh he thinks he knows them so well that he can predict what they'll do, and therefore it doesn't occur to him that... I also, I love how that gets lampshaded a little bit here. Visor 1 is like, Visor 3, for all your so-called knowledge of the Andalites, you sure seem to be overlooking things about humans. (laughs) Which is also probably a backhanded, like, also there are these five humans you think are Andalites, you absolute nitwit. Right. I had a second point to follow my point number one. The Animorphs are so stupid for not acquiring Axe and using him more often. Come on. I say to you. Yeah. Granted, Visser 3 might notice if there are multiple of the same Andalite running around because he is an Andalite host. But you could use multiple axes at other missions where Visitor 3 probably won't be there. I mean, he's going to show up, but... Yeah, but still. Why don't Andalites all acquire each other anyway, for just confusion purposes? <laughs> oh, man. this is, See, this is why I wanted a twin when I was little, because I would read, like, the Sweet Valley books. And be like, oh, it'd be so fun, and we could, like, confuse people and be identical. It'd be awesome. Be <laughs> they could do this all the Morphing time. Morphing to your identical twin is such a waste. <laughs> no, 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 no. But you could morph each other, and then it would be like your twins. Wait, what? No, so I, <laughs> no, okay. no, I would no, no. morph Jenny, and then there'd be two Jennies. Yeah, that'd be like I had no, a twin. No, no. But if you also morphed Gray at the same time, <laughs> it would, it would okay, not well, be like you had twins. No, but that would be next level. Because then if people saw two Jennies, they'd be like, this is wrong. But if they saw Jenny and Gray, they might believe it, except for Ted, who can definitely tell us apart. Absolutely. Yeah. As soon as we started talking about stuff, it would be, yeah. One of you is swearing, and the other one isn't. I can tell which one is which. <laughs> one of you keeps saying opinion after opinion without giving anyone else time to speak. <laughs> Doesn't sound right. <laughs> Jenny, what's the name of book 23? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Let me check my Goodreads reviews. Oh, God. That would be terrifying. So speaking yeah, of... Yeah, that's true. Actually, if yeah. you ever don't know which of us is which, just get us to recite all of the names of the Animorphs books. Uh, yeah, yeah, you have to memorize the names of all the Animorphs books, Gray, so we can confuse him. I have a video of you doing it on my phone. It's all I've ever needed. <laughs> Every time you want to know the name of a book, do you just look up the video and count? Uh-huh. Great. I'm so glad. Definitely how I do it. I'm not at all... Do you, Googling do you have other I also kind of love how the Council of Thirteen is sitting there like, all oh, safe, watching this battle. But then two of them are dead by the end of the book. Maybe not dead. Maybe they're just ousted, but I'm pretty sure they're dead. Yeah. Like, how often does this happen on the Council? Lots. Lots? Lots. Yeah. So you think they're constantly bringing in new new people. Yes. How come Visor 1 hasn't gotten onto the Council yet? She's been Visor 1 for like five years or something. Um... Probably because... Because they need her in the field? Well, maybe because they need her in a field, or because she's a, like, mm. known loose cannon, right? She's yeah, very effective as a commander, yeah. but Garof, mm-hmm. her mentor, knows that she's guilty of all of this stuff, and they've already kind of set up this thing where it's like, yeah. hey, deliver us Earth, and we'll forgive you for all this, this messed right. up stuff you did. And they just double down on that at the end of the book. So uh-huh. either that goes all the way up and all of the Council of Thirteen has dirt on each other. Or maybe <laughs> some of the people, in the, like maybe the Emperor and the Probably top the five Emperor in the Council. already found most of the Council members guilty of something. So when they disagree with him, you just like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So Yeah, well, she says at the beginning, right, that each of them has secrets that right. would, they wouldn't want to come out. Doesn't necessarily mean they've been convicted of stuff, but probably they have. So that, you know, at least in the head of the Emperor. Right. Yeah, I'm trying to think of what a good, like, fictional counterpart to how I imagine the Castle of Thirteen working is. I really want to know who keeps ending up on it if these top vissers aren't ending up on it. Yeah. Like, who... If they do this a lot, maybe they don't. Maybe well, this is like the first time it's no, happened it's in years. No, but. that's a really good point because 
Edris says they're politicians, so of course they like uh, Wizard 3's boasting. Yeah, uh-huh. So it's interesting that we are, because I'm sort of assuming they're all war guild, quote unquote, yurks, uh-huh. but we have this idea of, you know, professional military yurks and then professional politician yurks, uh-huh. and we have never seen a professional politician yurk except for the Council of Thirteen. Right. Yeah. There's no Did they equivalent. get elected? They couldn't possibly get elected. I wonder if on like the Texan homeworld, if that's like a, a Yurk proxy homeworld and there uh-huh. are, are like non-military communities or outposts there. Maybe Whoa. maybe not maybe not, you know, like at least industrial, right? They're mm-hmm. they're building ships yes, and stuff. Yes, that's true. They right? they so have scientists. Maybe you that. have like a even if it's just kind of like a union boss type political role where you're mm-hmm. just organizing the yeah. the labor of the hosts. And those kinds of people are the ones that get yeah. promoted to the Council of Thirteen. That would make more sense that non-Vissers would end up in the Council of Thirteen if there is a non-warlike mm-hmm. aspect to your society. We've never seen it. Right. But, but there must be. Like, you don't fight a war just to fight a war. Right. Like, maybe they do. Or it's like, maybe it's like up to six members of the Council are previous Vissers, but mm-hmm. not more, because mm-hmm. you don't want there to be a coup. <laughs> I do wonder why on earth um, they have the forms they have, the controllers they have. Yeah, why are have? there taxons? Are they required why? to be taxons? Why are there taxa? Is there like a, you're allowed to be on the council, but you have to keep the taxon host body because like we want to control you a little bit. These are also like Jabba the Hutt sized taxons. Yeah, that's so. true. One of them gets disappeared. Oh, does it? Is there only one taxon? One of the taxons is gone and one of the work is here. So like, it's possible to take them out. I mean, you know, get a hammerhead shark in there apparently. But like... <laughs> It's just such a ridiculous controller to have because you can't think clearly ever. I think it must ever. be a condition of their membership. I think the council must be like what more it, higher. What it reminds me of is the like the families in Dune. I don't yeah. actually know Dune. Film no, that makes sense. Yeah, Sixty second like, summary. Go. No, but they're they're just all sort of like these rich families that all sort of have dirt on each other mm. and have these very long, uh, long-range power plays against each other that take forever to set up, and then at any moment, you know, the trap could spring shut. So I kind of, well, like, kind of I kind Not of imagine work, this Council of Thirteen thing working in the same way, where they're all trying to betray each other and mm-hmm. over- usurp yeah. each other at the same time. But again, that implies a much bigger, richer your culture than we've seen mm-hmm. any yeah. evidence of. Yeah. So, But maybe this is our evidence. Maybe yeah. there has to be this richer culture to support this. Yeah, like or maybe the Council of Thirteen is like there were it's like the thirteen people who started the war and <laughs> you know, half of them have died, and so they keep thirteen they keep filling those slots, but those people are expendable, right? So it's oh. you know, the Emperor and his four henchmen mm-hmm. are the only ones left of the original team. Yeah. And they made up the whole thing. Though I bet if that were the case, like if it's you think some of maybe some of the thirteen are a sham? I think they. No, I just mean oh. there have to be thirteen. But oh, okay. It came, the reason was it's like, hey, the thirteen of us, let's start a council of thirteen, and oh, then it's okay. like, oh, we have to pick a new one. But, but if we let like actual powerful people onto it, that dilutes our power. So when we let new people on, we right. make sure to only. And yeah, so they they'll draw out a visor, but it's someone they can control. Yeah, mm-hmm. so it's like when Edris chose Essam to go with her. She's like, oh, he's weak. He has morals. Right. Oh, Gray. Do you want to know what I thought when I read this passage? Which passage again? There I used my superior computer skills to steal millions of dollars from bank accounts. I formed fake companies and raised millions more from the sale of stock, which that's kind of cool. I mean, evil, but... And once I had the seed money, several hundred million, I began to create the sharing. Do you know what I thought? That's where they get their money from? Well, what I thought is, not the kind of money you get selling Furbies on the black market. Well, exactly. I mean, (laughs) as established. (laughs) Did we talk about 90s moments last time? You know, I don't think we did. Okay, there's one bit where Visser One says, you know, I was 
getting all the data about potential places where Earth could be. Uh And it took a while to download all the data because transition speeds were slower back then. And I'm like, this is such a, like, (laughs) 90s thing to put in science fiction in order to be relatable. Because they're like, (laughs) oh, it must be the case that even with far advanced technology, you know, like, it's going to get faster over time and, like, blah, 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 all this stuff. I liked the 90s reference to 5 billion on the way to 6 billion potential hosts. Oh, yeah. Also, can we read the conversation that she overhears when she intercepts human transmissions? Yes, by all means. Hey, what's up? Oh, nothing, man. Yeah, same here. So what did he say? Ugh, he was all like, no problem. And I was like, uh, reality check, okay? No way. I think that Apple Grant watched a lot of the Today Show because this mm. is at least the second book in which they've talked about it. Oh, yeah. True. Although she didn't write one of them. Yes. Good point. Never but, mind. You know, maybe she added that. Welcome back to Today. In this half hour, we'll be talking with our panel of military analysts about the latest developments in Operation Desert Storm and in our cooking segment. <laughs> Another 90s thing. Edris talks with Allison Kim about string theory. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it's because... Allison's some kind of scientist, and they're talking about string theory, and Edris is like, no, 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 this isn't the end of physics. It's only the beginning. <laughs> You're approaching what even we Yerks call Andalite Harmonic Theory. I love it so much. I can't believe the Yerks call it that. I know. They couldn't have given a different name? I bet every time they talk about it, they just feel bad about themselves. The other thing I liked is the pivotal plot introduction of a cell phone in the Yerk pool. <gasps> this was very nice. That's true. It, 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 she was so lucky that this one host <laughs> yeah. had to have a cell phone and then answered it in the Yerk pool. And uh-huh. she's like, I didn't even know you cell phones got service down here. Do you think the Yerks have like a special cell tower to give service to the pool? No, nope. I think I do not. I think that that one controller wrapped his antenna in copper wire and <laughs> she got lucky. She got lucky. There's also yeah, the, no, I'm in traffic. <laughs> yeah. There's also the uh, '90s reference to Sarah Jessica Parker. Oh, um, who is brought is up as oh yeah Jenny Lyons. Jenny Lyons. Like, have you even seen her? Have you, I'm hotter than half these so-called actresses. I mean, have you really looked at Sarah Jessica Parker? Which stop being mean to Sarah Jessica Parker. She's Wait, fine. I know you had a, a point, real Jenny. But can we talk about <laughs> the Jenny Lyons infestation scene? That's one of the oh yeah. The best let's talk about it. Book. It's hilarious. It's the like. We have to go, you know, land and infest the first two people we see. And we're going to dive into the shallow end of the pool. <laughs> By landing on this pool. So they land at this pool. It was the size of the sort of pool one might find aboard one of the newer pool ships. It could have housed 10,000 yurks if necessary. Which, wow, that is some pool that Lowenstein has. I and mean, yurks are... Yurks are also very small. Maybe they are okay with being very crowded. But also I like this glimpse into uh, yurks are getting better pool ships. Of course, it was mere water and horribly transparent at that there is your water, Esim. Unfortunately, oh, yeah. Esim tries to drink the water and then starts screaming, Esim, what is the difficulty? It burns! It burns! The pool guy was here today, the woman said. The chlorine's always kind of high right after. It burns! It burns! Esim cried again. Silence, Esim, I snapped. To the woman, I said, you are female. She made a human mouth gesture. As one does. Yes. I do that all the time, making human mouth gestures. That's because I'm human. FYI. Uh-huh. And she twisted her body slightly, pressing some portions forward aggressively. I hope I'm a woman, she said. Yeah. All right. Shorter than the female, also thicker, and partially covered with thin curly fur. I, I did really like that description of Lonestein. And, and it's just like, they're just, they're so blasé. They're like, oh yeah, these people from the studio showed up in these incredibly <laughs> realistic corporate <laughs> outfits. 
And he's like, no, no, this is all wrong. It's way too alien. He's looking for something more E.T. Cute, cuddly, not blades and chicken feet. Yeah, it's uh, then, it's one of those, like, it's one of those, they didn't have to, I guess, I guess there is a portrayal of many different kinds of women in this book, so I can't hold it against it too much. They certainly didn't have to pick a wannabe actress who, and portray her in this way. But. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Because it's not that just she's a wannabe actress, it's that she's basically just a... It's like, no no smarter than a hork which... No, right, but also she's like a, a, a she's just a groupie and a drug addict, right? This yeah, like, yeah. Visser 1 perceives nothing redeeming in her, mm-hmm. but the text doesn't give her anything redeeming for us to let on to either, right? So. Yeah, her reaction to the infestation was to whine and complain. She did not scream or rage, she did not threaten, she merely subsided into a corner and occasionally remarked that I was a total jerk. I did really enjoy her memories of youth spent in a place known as Cowtown or Podunk or Arkansas, with the three terms roughly synonymous and yet also referencing multiple fictional locations. <laughs> Uh, I like the description of the room. I guess it's in Lowenstein's place. Mm-hmm. We stood, awkward, in the middle of a large open room, adorned with objects made of chrome, glass, and stretched, denuded animal pelts, bleached white. <laughs> On the walls were framed woven fibers, covered with colors applied for the purpose of visual pleasure. <laughs> Some great defamiliarization. I also liked, Essam is talking about Jenny Lyne's addiction. He says, you know, your host has a physical addiction to a particular chemical compound. Mine does not. He's concerned for her. Concerned? Why? It is an emotion, not susceptible to logical explanation. It's like, do yours not feel concerned for each other? Like, do they have friends? Do yours have friends? That's what I want to know. Yeah, I don't know. I hope so. But it's 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 like um, toxic parasitism, right? It's like, <laughs> they've all been raised in this culture of like, well, hosts have feelings and yorks are above all that. Right? Yeah, so whether or not true. they have feelings, yeah. they don't talk about it. That's a good point. They're probably yeah. much more susceptible to feelings than they think. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I was wondering, like, how does it change their society to not have children? Because, like, when mm-hmm. she infests, when Viserwan infests the um, the guy in the desert, she's like, he was like largely concerned about his offspring. Like, a large proportion of his thoughts mm-hmm. had to do with his offspring, which it is horrifying that she then kills him. And that's just completely unrelatable to Edris at the time. And then, of course, later she has kids of her own, and it's this very powerful thing for her. But how does that change Yurk society and attitudes about stuff, like approach to life to just not not have kids, not like not really have strong emotional ties beyond your own generation? Yeah, I don't I mean, know if there's an answer to that, but no. But it's it's interesting from like an evolutionary biology perspective too, mm-hmm. because one of the things that drives different species to their own you know ecological niche is social behaviors and. Mm-hmm. Most, we think most animals have some kind of social behavior that allows the uh, species to survive, even if it doesn't allow the individual. So in, you know, mammals, often it's caring for the offspring. Mm-hmm. Well, do but you think that yurks have is, to care for their grubs? Right. That's what, So part of that is because mammals reproduce less often, whereas yeah. in some insect and like fish species, because reproduction is, there are many more offspring in times of crisis the mothers will actually like eat the eggs mm, because mm-hmm. they want to survive to have the next brood. Right. Um, so probably yurks won't even reproduce if the pool can't support right. another generation. Right. Yeah. So it makes a little bit of sense. And if if the yurks don't survive creating the next generation, mm-hmm. right, that that is a, a dead end for those individuals mm-hmm. on behalf of the species. The three come together. 
then there are a thousand Yerks, but those three individuals are no longer alive. Yeah. If you get narcissistic individuals who do not want to <laughs> end their own individual existence, then it would be very difficult to get the next generation. And I guess because when they you only need three Yerks to reproduce to make so many, it's not a problem to have narcissistic individuals. I guess, but also where are the where are the Yerks that aren't infesting others? Like, somewhere in the Yerk pool underneath the school in California, uh-huh. there must be a selection of 12 Yerks yeah. who are creating these next, the next <laughs> pool. But, like, who are they? What are they? Yeah, no they idea. Interact. I want more. I also, it seems like the Yerks don't have any difficulty surviving. Like, you're in a pool. You get Kendrona rays. That seems to be it. Like, you don't need, there doesn't seem like they had any predators. You tell stories. Yeah, it doesn't seem like they have to find food or, like, shelter or anything. So they don't have to be social in order to raise the young because it doesn't seem like they need anything. Mm -hmm. Just sort of my question in, I guess it was Harpshire Chronicles we were talking about this. Like, why are they as intelligent as they are Mm. when it doesn't seem like they have to struggle or cooperate to survive? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was just thinking about the... When I first read the idea that Visser One is like now addicted to humans, mm-hmm. right? Addicted mm-hmm. to Alison Kim, I thought that that was kind of a maybe a little bit of a silly way to put it or a silly analogy. But now I'm kind of thinking about the whole like where the Yerk obsession with sort of hosts comes from. And, you know, we talked a little bit in 19 how it's like, oh, it's so amazing when you, ha- you get vision for the first time. Mm-hmm. It's just so much better than being a Yerk and like all this kind of stuff. But I'm wondering if it if the more accurate analogy is like the way people get addicted to social media these days, where it's like uh something about the new senses is giving you like that dopamine reflex of like, Oh wow, this is so new and exciting. And so it's like, it's not that going back to the pool is like inferior in a like, some kind of really strong objective way it's just like it's it's, yeah it's just like it's you know it's why reading a book is less exciting than refreshing facebook Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. so i wonder if that's kind of the i don't know that analogy makes more sense to me as kind of like i'm addicted to being a human Yorks are probably just very susceptible to like oh i have this new host and it's so fun and all these fun new things are happening all the time and they must be because i mean why would they bother leaving the pool otherwise they don't lack for anything Right. Physical. And they have this year community. They must just kind of want this kind of more and more excitement, stimulation. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make sense to me. (laughs) I mean, it makes sense. I like Ted's workout theory because it's the only thing that makes sense is that there was a group of people who (laughs) couldn't take their aggression out on each other. I think Investing Humans is just like a really fun video game. Yeah. I think that's what it's like. So I did want to talk a little bit about your death. Because we see several instances of it in this book. And we get a different perspective on it than we had. Like, we knew already that a year dying in your head is really rough for the human. Like, when Jake is infested in book six, like, he goes through that whole... What did they call it? The fugue? He like relives part of part of the Yerk's life and hears its screams of agony. And then when it dies, it just like comes out of his ear and, just, you know, it dies. And it seems like it's not always that simple. Mm-hmm. I guess we don't see any Yerk's dying as sort of a natural, uninterfered with mm-hmm. death in this. Like when Essam is dying in Hildy's head, uh, I guess... Edris pulls him out. Like, did she know what would happen? 
Why did she pull him out? Did she pull him out to hurt Hildy? Is she just, like, mad and yanking on things? Like, what? She loses her temper and just yanks on stuff. And how lucky that it was Essam and not his <laughs> hair. <laughs> not lucky, actually, because... I don't know. So, yeah. But, like, did did Tamarash deliberately leave Jake's head so that... Because it doesn't seem like something he would do. It seems like if he could kill Jake by dying in him, he would do that. No, you all... Like, the instinct is to leave. Okay. The of death. That's what I remember right. from the capture. But I wonder if she was... Do we do we see that from her perspective, or does she just narrate it? Is that when she's narrating to the council? Oh, because I think I think it's when she's narrating to the council, and that part is very much unreliable narrator, where mm-hmm. she's spinning how she felt. So I could imagine either Edris is really angry, and in that moment she wants to kill him, right? So it's like mm-hmm. an act of violence, and it's intentionally doing something really bad, or that she's feeling this really strong. Sympathy to him. She's like, I just want to hold you one last time. And accidentally, oh. Terrace's dried out. So she body. says, okay, yeah, no, you're right about the instinct. He was halfway out, escaping the host in the moment of death, as instinct tells us to do. Thank goodness. I grabbed him and pulled him the rest of the way, but he was still more attached than I thought. I suppose death had already reached part of his body. I held half a yerk in my hand. He moved very little, then stopped moving altogether. And then later we get, he was, Hildy was not the same human. Bits of Essam still stuck to his brain. Dead nerve endings were tied into his. Horrifying. Some of his neurons fired through dead yerk tissue. So I guess it's like the yerk has to do a natural disconnecting process. And if it is interfered with, it's still totally unclear why she did that. She grabs him and pulls him. She doesn't say why. Or if she knew that was what would happen. Maybe it doesn't happen all that often. There's also the thing in... uh, Earlier in the book where the opposite happens, where she kills the Horkbajir and it's Yerk tries to get out and she manages to help the Yerk out by like widening the ear canal with her fingers and like pulling the Yerk out is like, take it to the pool. So I guess that is a thing that can be done. Hmm. She says it's very hard to get out of the host before death reaches you as hmm. a Yerk. So I don't know. We're learning all sorts of new things about Yerk infestation Horrifying. and death. Gray looks real happy that we're learning all this. Horrifying. I'm so excited for the live stream, which I guess will be in the past once this episode comes out. I'm so excited for it so everyone can see your facial expressions. I just... It's going to be such a treat. There are dead bits of slug in his brain. Yes, there are. Why are they not... Should they get infected or something? Well, they should or, like, attacked least... by the bodies of the Yeah, exactly. Stuff? Like, you wouldn't you die if you had necroflying flesh in your brain? I think you might. Yeah, that that seems possible. But it's, like, in your Z-brain, right? It's, like, <laughs> it's not actually there. You know, I'm sorry, your Z-brain. Made... <laughs> Let's not mix up the various <laughs> bonkers parts of these books. Should we not? Oh, no. Oh, man. Okay, but you had more thoughts on Hildy. Yeah, well, just, it's it's one of the instances of ableism in this book. Mm-hmm. Again, when Hildy is introduced, Visser 1 is like, oh, this is just, you know, this person is street crazy, so we cannot trust anything they say. And it's just mm-hmm. playing into this really lazy trope about the, like, ranting and raving homeless person that we've seen Which we've seen before, yeah. A lot in the Animorphs. Animorphs 1. Um, and... After that, you know, the brain creates its own traitor thing. Visser 1 then goes to the conclusion, humans are all mad. As a species, they're mad, Ugh. right? And so... Um, what do they mean when they say this? Right. Uh, but it's like a real... Yeah, I mean, we've said this before, but it reveals a like lack of empathy for mental illness. Yeah. I mean, I guess it is. And in this case, homelessness and, and homeless what causes people. it. And, yeah. and, you know, 
guess it does say a lot about the progress we've made as a society in understanding mental health that I am like completely baffled by the word mad in this context. Cause like, I feel like literally historically it has been used this way. Like Hamlet got called mad for like saying weird random stuff. Like half of yeah. Jules Verne is about madness. Hmm. So I guess I shouldn't be so confused by it, but the other one that I wanted to talk about was Ava's scarring. Mm. Um, it hasn't come up at all because it's not relevant to the plot in any way. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious what you made of it, Gray, what you think about it, Jenny, why it's included. I mean, it wasn't included very much. Like, it's mentioned that it's the thing, like, she fell off the cliff and the Yerks could have repaired her, but they didn't. It definitely was, like, part of her punishment that they didn't, and it was, like, supposed to be an indignity that they didn't repair her, which is, you know, not great. I don't know. I don't know if it felt significant to me in any other way. The scarring didn't even register with me, actually. The injuries did. That's what I mean. She's, like, okay. badly burned and injured. Yeah. yeah, I think half of her face is really burned. And I guess, yeah, so, you know, I'm, I am I could be more sensitive to this issue than I need to be. But I feel mm-hmm. like it reminds me a lot of, you know, the way that Taylor was described before her reconstructive surgery. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like this ugliness brought about by an accident mm-hmm. that, like, makes you more, seem more villainous. Right, like I feel oh, like I feel like it's, and maybe there's supposed to be some sort of she's so resilient because here she is with her, yeah, you know, her face burnt and so injured, and she's on her last, uh-huh. know, her last leg, literally, you know, fighting till the bitter end. But it still seemed, yeah, it, it still felt feel, a little. It didn't feel quite like that to me, cartoonish. just because it sort of just mentioned matter of factly and then moved beyond. Like it isn't like a thing that she dwells on we don't really see her from the outside so it's not a thing that's like present in our picture of what's happening exactly also shock i mean i just want to reread it because i remembered that she had these injuries but i did Mm -hmm. not remember the extent of them like i remembered broken bones but she says i was no longer able to show much much emotion on my human face the left side of my head was burned almost beyond recognition, red and black and raw. Ooh. My mouth was twisted from blows delivered while imprisoned. Oh, Marco, seeing his mom like that. My broken bones, yeah, right? He doesn't react arm, at all, right? Shoulder. It's weird. Yeah. It doesn't come up. She's got all these broken bones. Right leg, left arm and shoulder, ribs. Oh. The How is she even moving? All could have been repaired, and it's been a month. So, while, so like setting wrong. Yeah, her bones may have started to knit together, but those burns will still be significant. The fact that it basically after that description never comes up again. Mm-hmm. And like the pain that she's in, she mentions mm-hmm. here as Jenny as you said earlier, I could not cut myself off entirely from the pain my host felt without releasing my host, but that doesn't come up. Like Ava's not struggling through the pain to articulate no. things or like think about this. It is kind of silly that they like introduce this and then don't do anything with it. Yes, I'm adding another in a middle grade novel <laughs> note to my list of notes here. Okay, can we talk about how concussed this woman is? I mean, I granted, I, I'm very sensitive to this because I've had a concussion and I know how bad it is. And like, we have a friend who had developed a chronic illness because of a concussion and like, they knock her out, the Animorphs knock her out and then drag her into this tunnel. And like, 20 minutes later, they knock her out again. Like, that is the worst thing. And, you know, Edris is in her head being like, I was waiting for the swelling to go down in her brain so that like, function could return. I was like, she's not gonna have normal function for like, years. Yeah years two concussions like that is just so bad two concussions in a day a month after being thrown down a cliff yeah yeah that too yeah it's like i feel like i mean most 
fiction doesn't understand how bad getting hit on the head is, but like this definitely seems to be like, oh, the swelling will go down and she'll be fine. No, nope. like, no, not at all. It's yeah, it's very like superhero TV show kind of like fighting. Yeah, right? it's like yeah. this is how a thing gets resolved. You knock somebody. But out. like, yeah, it also seems like this would be a great opportunity for her to just get a different host. Cause like, yeah, why, why does she need this host? There are lots of humans around. What a great point. She could get a new host. Marco could have his mom back. Mar- they could have been like, yeah, we'll put you in some other human, but we're keeping this one. Yeah, or just kill that host. I, yeah, that's certainly what the Yerks could do. Yes. Like, I don't think the Animorphs are going to do that. But, no. No. But, I mean... Yeah, why is she staying in this, like, very badly damaged host body when she's not trying to live a certain life on Earth and doesn't need that particular face? Yes. She's been in... Also, I mean, she's been in captivity for a month, so, like... That's well, why she isn't in it at the moment. Is it just that there's a shortage of hosts? So It can't three... possibly be. She's not even a voluntary host. Just, like, get a different host. There are, like, five billion humans going on six. No, but the point is there are so many yurks in the pool who don't have a host already. Mm-hmm. So if she gets a new one, she's jumping the but line. But she's Visser Y. No, but Visser just... three's in charge, right? So uh, yeah. if that's going to come out of him promoting one of his underlings, right, uh-huh. out of the uh-huh. pool... Right. I, That's, I feel like, like she could pull the strings to get another human, or get an get after a, she's exonerated or her trial. Or a body, or an Antari body. Maybe she will do that. Whatever it is, you know, you could predict that. Good. <laughs> right, what else do we want to talk about in this book? I just loved how much fun sci-fi stuff there was. I think we've mm-hmm. talked about most of it, but like. The five classes of species that mm-hmm. the Yerks, you know. What are the five like classes of species, Ted? Do you want to tell us? Because it oh, just is fun. Can I know off the top of my head? This let's see. Let's see if you can do it. Okay, well, class five is what humans are. Oh, um, starting from the bottom. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to have to work, work my So way that's like suitable for infestation. <clears throat> suitable for and there infestation. are enough of them. There's, and they're not too powerful. There are a lot of them that are not too powerful. Okay. Class four is andalites only. It's, it's <laughs> um, things that are too powerful for us to infest. Right now, obviously, we'll get there right, eventually. Right. Mm-hmm. Three is species that are infestable, but not there aren't enough of them yeah, to be useful. Horpager, right. Yeah. So that's Horpagear. Mm-hmm. Species two are infestable, but severe drawbacks. So that's taxons and geds. Mm-hmm. So uh, species type one must be uninfestable yeah. species. Physically unfit for infestation like the Scritna. Nicely done. That was very impressive. Like, oh, the Scritna because of their, their tendency to life. phase yeah. or whatever. Their their tendency to annoying phase. need to phase. Annoying need to phase. We just need phase. species that are unfazed. Uh, okay. <laughs> you know phase gray. <laughs> <laughs> I Me always too. try to phase gray. It's very itchy. <laughs> the... Uh, aerosol night vision that uh, they have for Operation oh Desert Storm. It's just oh. so cool. I love it. It's like something <laughs> out of a dumb X-Files episode, but she's like, the Horpagier can't see that well in the desert at night. There you go. That's like getting your eyes dilated. Right. I love that. You know, I mean, the Council of Thirteen is great. The whole sequence with TV where they're like, they discover that humans communicate way too much and needlessly. And they're like, Sometimes the humans use bows, and sometimes they use guns, and sometimes they what have spaceships. On? Are they like a class four species? Like, how do they Mach six is you know six times the speed of right. light? Warp, but that's warp not six. right, right, right. Warp six is. But how are we getting a visual of the ship going faster than light? Doesn't right, make right. Any that's sense. not possible. You know, like that's why we travel through Z space. So good. Great. Did you catch why they were on the moon where she discovers the class five species? Because its zero space transit point made it convenient for quick data transmission from the widespread elements of the fleet. I did notice that. Okay, I just wanted to make sure you understood that science because it's an important addition to our Z space canon. Yes, of course, because as we know from every other time we've seen Z space, you have to go through a transit point 
and not, you know, magic. <laughs> that is what we know. I thank you for summarizing it so well, Gray. You're welcome. I'm here for you. <laughs> I really appreciate how well these books keep coming up with new ways for us to directly see the events of the past. Mm. Like in the Andalite Chronicles, we got his um, Heraclitus, where Elfengor is like, it's my final memories. I am like dumping them into the ship from my mind. And then in Hork-Bajir Chronicles, we got like the weird magical Hork-Bajir storytelling where it's like they were there. And also all of Esplin's memories had gone into Eldrea and that one moment where she was infested. And so we got all of the memories. And in this one, we get like required memory transfers or whatever that they're the Yurks all have to do. So I guess everyone in the Yurk Empire is doing this all the time. Yeah. Interesting. It's actually very um Escortian as well, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. With like the mm-hmm. memory memory extraction and playing and stuff, right? It mm-hmm. fits in with what we know about galactic this, uh, brains. This universe. I really I love how it's when Edris has to go into her memories Garaf and Ava are both there against her will, and she's like, oh, this sucks so much, and Garaf like, shows up in the car with her, being like, yeah, so I think you might be uh, a little too into being a human right now. She's like, no, it was all a ruse, and he's like, uh-huh, fast forward. <laughs> I'm just looking through my notes now. I liked how um, Allison and Hildy are having this dinner, sharing bites across the table, thinking nothing of it, but thinking of nothing else. It's like, oh, that's really nicely put. <laughs> having both lobster and crab <laughs> luxury do you think it was like a lobster crab accidental more like marco did in 35 what would you oh. call that jenny <laughs> well lab seems wrong somehow so i'm gonna have to go with crobster that could be a crawfish lobster but it's not i guess you could do crabster that's still that just sounds like it or like a crab that does road racing oh it does sound like a crab who does road racing that's great nope sticking with crobster Lobstab? <laughs> that would be Visser One's ideal meal. <laughs> lobster and then stabbing. I mean, that's how you eat lobster. Yeah, that's kind of true. This is why she liked lobster. First you lob, then you stab. <laughs> yeah, that's actually a game that the Yerks play. Lobster. <laughs> well, it's like it's like a volleyball or something. Like You lob the ball in the air, but then you have to get it on your spike. You like a spear. Okay, we may have gone. Okay, we might be done. Slightly. This is what happens when we record two episodes. It's we, true. We fill two hours with nonsense. <laughs> I did like how, this is another totally random thing. We haven't talked at all this time about really the scene with the, the Animorphs and Ava in the Taxon Tunnel. I just liked how when someone needs to knock her out again, like concussion, but uh, Marco's like, I want Jake to do it. Like, I don't want to do it, but like, you're the one that I trust to do this thing. I did it once, you do it the second time. Yeah. Seems fair. You don't want to punch your mom in the face twice. Yeah. It's yeah. not a commission. It's a concussion. <laughs> They're really putting the us in concussion? Is that what you're saying? Thank you, Jake. Thank you. <laughs> that was the joke. That Ray the would joke. put the cause in concussion. And now we travel back in time to when Gray predicted the Elemist Chronicles. Oh yeah, let's have you yeah. predict well, now. Well, we'll, we'll invite we'll invite Joyce back for the the prediction. <laughs> God damn it! <laughs> <laughs> so tell us what you're seeing. Okay, this is the Elemist Chronicles, and on the front page is the Elemist, who that is not what he looks like in my head, and on the no. side cover is it's Mount the Rushmore, Children of the Corn, <laughs> Mount, Mount Anamorphshore, Mount Morphmore, the worst Mushmore, <laughs> Rushmore. That's is a it great possible? Name. This is my least favorite cover. This might Whoa. be my least favorite thing. Really, that's ever I kind of like how they're all drawn. 
Tobias no, looks like Tobias. What, what do you think the Elmus voice sounds like based on the way he looks here? Wait, isn't he supposed to be blue? Yes, he is supposed what to be is blue. This? this is a big part of our conversation. Oh, I think blue. he looks a bit like the Lorax. Is that Tobias? No, is that's that Tobias because he's blonde. Okay, listen. <laughs> None of these cover models have ever convinced me that Tobias and Jake are different cover models. <laughs> No, okay, well, that's so Tobias. this is, I think, is the first time we get Blonde Tobias. Yes. That Gray has seen. Oh, blonde, yeah. They, they do, there is a Blonde Tobias yeah. cover okay. model that shows up eventually. Well, he hasn't shown up yet. Yeah. He looks like, um, from Game of Thrones, the prince. Joffrey. He looks oh, like Joffrey. Oh, no. <laughs> Which I don't like. I hate everything about this. Okay. <laughs> I uh, like Rachel. She looks good. And Cassie. Okay. Is Axe's stock eye even attached to him? No, <laughs> no they're just yeah, moving around. It's just, it's just it's a in shadow. Eye. You can't tell. What if the Andalite it's, eyes were not stock eyes, but just little drone eyes? Bad. That would be terrible. Whoa. Oh, How yeah, would they like evolve a separate part of their mouth? That would be impressive. Okay. Like evolving wheels. His mustaches are coming out of his nose. It's not a mustache, it's nose hair. That's terrifying. Okay, um, so it's the Elemis Chronicles. I'm already mad. It's fine. Um, but uh, the Animorphs are here, so it's not going to be like the first two Chronicles books where the Animorphs really aren't that involved. Um, so the interspecies love affair <laughs> is going to be the Elemis is going to take them back in time to show them how he or the Elemists or whatever and Cryak first became enemies hmm. and it's going to turn out that they both fell in love with a what was the name of the deer things that are kind of like Desbedines? They both fell in love with a Desbedine hmm. and they the Desbedine chose the Alamist and then Cryak killed it <gasps> and no. they had a big falling out and that is where the source of this battle came from. A basic okay. fridging. So you <laughs> don't think the Alamist and Cryak are exes. Mm. I just want you on the record oh, saying shoot. whether or not they're exes. I don't think they're exes. Okay, all right. No? I want them right. to be exes and therefore I don't think they're exes. <laughs> That's how these books work for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's hard to have a relationship with like a giant eye. It is. Thing. Yeah. Um, but then uh, it's going to be the Elemist. When do we read this one? Oh, it's not for a not while. for a while. It's not for a while. I think it's 47. So it's going to be the Elemist telling them, uh, helping them figure out how to get to the end game of okay. this right. battle with the Yerks. But most of it's going to be... So they're going to have like an eight book quest for the restart button? Yes. Okay. Hmm. But most of it's going to be about the Elemist and Cryak and their I have a question. What relatable hobby does the Elemist have as, a, as a young Elemist? <laughs> Cross-stitch. Well, okay. I don't see the lines of timelines, so... Possibly, possibly jigsaw puzzles. Okay. Nice. It's one of those right. two things for but sure. But it's definitely not chess, is what you're saying. <laughs> it's okay. not chess. <laughs> you guys are so bad <laughs> If you'd gotten this one, I would have been so pleased. I would have exploded on the spot. Because it's very, very so silly. So it's a good thing. I mean, you did get it, and he is confirming. This Clearly. Uh, chess. Yes, so chess. do the Elemist and his interspecies love interest have a child? They do. Who is it? Zero. Okay. Mm. Okay. That's how Andalites got started. <laughs> That's what happens in the Elemist Chronicles. I am, as always, so good at predicting. You are. I can't wait to Yeah. It's going to be amazing. Oh, no. I love that one. You guys already know why. <laughs> Pain. No comment. It's because other people like the Elemist. Those other people are not me. Because you're Cryak, a.k.a. his ex. Exactly. <laughs> okay. I don't like him. That's fair. <laughs> that one bit. Oh, man. Right. Okay. 
Now back to the present. Let's assume that there will be a framing device, like in all oh, the other products, yeah. like January's. How is so, the memory gonna oh, be transferred? Oh yeah, great question. Great question. Is the Elmist just like sit right back in here? Right there. <laughs> the tale of an Elmist. <laughs> then what happened? I don't know. Well, he can't tell you. You have to tell us. Three billion hour tour. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, the framing device is... um, hmm. Okay, so they've done storytelling. They've done downloading memories. Maybe this time it's going to be Elmist movie night. And he's got a projector like in his forehead or maybe just like he owns... (laughs) And he's going to play the movie. I like how the projector might be part Wait, of his body, or it might not invited? be. Just the animals. So he just invites them like, over? How does he send them invitations? Is it like paper invitations? Because it's the 90s? Uh, yes. Okay. It, yeah, it's not he paper just, post. He just starts booming in their minds, you are invited to... <laughs> I've got my I want the like invitations <clears throat> that you know you can get a pack of for like kids' birthdays party. That's yes. like, who, what, where... <laughs> Yes. Why? I don't think why is part of that. No, he, uh, it's actually like the little Valentine's Day cards. Mm-hmm. Be my Valentine at the movies. What, like, it's popular like- media is on the Alamist's Valentine's? Um, great question. The Alamist is gonna be... Like, does he think TPM is cool? <laughs> that was Margot's reference to the Phantom Menace. Thank you. I had blocked that from my memory. <laughs> That's reasonable. Um, no, he's very into Star Trek because oh, he identifies so strongly with Q. <laughs> All right. so, so are they next generation Valentines? Yeah. So is this going to be like Marco falls asleep, Axe starts eating all of the you know popcorn containers... Yeah. Tobias and Rachel start making out in the back row. Like, That's oh, man, they missed the whole story. Yeah, so Jake's paying attention. Jake and Cassie are holding hands, but but paying attention because they don't want to. But mm-hmm. Tobias and Rachel are making out in the back. Okay, sounds like that. Of this yeah. tiny movie theater. Nice. <laughs> As they are wont to do. Uh, yeah, that's the framing device. All right. Elemis movie. That's adorable. <laughs> I can't wait to reread that. <laughs> it's going to be great. Next time. Next, next Chronicles book. Chronicles book. And now, a special feature in which Gray gets a present. I got a present? Yeah. <laughs> Merry Christmas, Gray, from me and Jenny, inspired by one of Joyce Weeper's recent comments. Oh, no. <laughs> Do you want to guess what it is, guys? I love it! <laughs> I, I can't. What is it, Gray? You guys! What is it? It's... It's the it's a Transformers Animorph. Oh, it's, the, it's excellent. a Tyrex. What? <laughs> it's, I think we have to refer to it as the OTP Rex. It's the OT3 Rex. Right, right, right. OT3 Rex. Look at those images of like the three of them like coming together in that really sinister way. It's also gray. There's a button I want to push. Why does this exist? I'm so For the joy. Happy. Also, can you look? Just peer into the dinosaur's mouth for a second. Oh no! Those are their hands. <laughs> Those are Jake's hands. He's getting eaten by the dino. What the? F- <laughs> that is terrifying. Why? Are, why is it his hands? Okay, I have. I have some follow-up questions. Okay, please tell me that this happens at some point in the books that the three of them become hmm. a giant T-Rex. I'm sorry, we aren't able to give you no. any spoilers. Who thought that this was a good idea? Good question. 
I mean, everyone, because obviously it is. <laughs> now we've found a creature so powerful, it takes three of us to become one. Incorrect. You've already done this. <laughs> we had to break into the Yerk's genetic experimentation lab to acquire it, but it was worth the danger. Each of us concentrates on a specific section of the giant T-Rex. Not how morphing works. <laughs> then we use an advanced morphing technique to combine our efforts into one incredible change. Now, as a team, we're unstoppable. We are the prehistoric beast of the future. <laughs> We are the Tri-Rex. Can we start a band called Prehistoric Beast of the Future? Yes, we can. I'm just really sad they didn't think to use the word Megamorph. It really is. Oh, real oversight. They didn't want to dilute their Megamorph brand. Brand, I know, I know. Collect all (gasps) your favorite Animorphs. Gray has found the pictures on the side of all the other Animorphs. <laughs> all your favorite Animorphs. Okay, Tobias. I like how Visser 3 is two of our favorite Animorphs. X is a scorpion, but then there's two Visser 3s. One. I feel like one of them should be him as an Andalite, but well, none that's of over them here. are. Well, this is, oh, this that is, is red. Yeah, that is not an Andalite. creature. I, I want to play with it, but I can never take it out of its box. Um, you have oh, to no, take it out please. of its box. So you have to take it out of its box because it makes a sound when it stomps, and I can't get it to make the sound from inside the box oh, so man. you have okay. to you have to take it out also the tail whips it's like a plastic thing that whips back and forth this so just seems like the kind of thing that in out. mint condition in box it's going to be worth so many you know, dollars later on i think it's probably worth more to you in the enjoyment than it will ever be worth in the Good money point. you yeah. get also, also it, can you imagine it was, selling it come on greg yes it <laughs> was lightly used Good. in the sense that they took the batteries out before <laughs> selling it on ebay so i put batteries back in Joyce, like I hope Christmas. you came here for the toy opening and not for the actual podcast, because that's un- what you're getting. It's just an unboxing I'm podcast. Just share horrible things I found, too. <laughs> and then yeah. prompt Ted and me to buy them on Thank eBay. Thank you yes. so much yeah. for once your we, once we, right, Once we realized that we were about to record this episode with you, we knew we had to. <laughs> I was very happy that... I was very happy that this arrived before I went home for Christmas. <laughs> it was really good timing, then, for everyone. Okay. I have finally unboxed it. Okay. Amazing. Wait, you gotta, you gotta oh, oh <clears throat> whip the tail, whip the tail. Make it stomp. Oh, <laughs> it's bendy. <laughs> you just bend it and then it snaps back into place. That's how this works. That's that kind is. of like a whip. Now, how do you get these things to make a noise? By stomping. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Oh, that's a good noise. This is a combination of Jurassic Park and the Animorphs. Oh my gosh, these tiny little legs. And are. There are hands in places mm-hmm. that I don't want there to be hands. <laughs> like in the mouth and in the <laughs> stomach. It's so good. Uh, I love it. It's just amazing. Aw. Thank you guys. What a great Christmas <laughs> present. If you want to find us, we are at Animorphology.com and at Animorphology on Twitter. Subscribe on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. And don't forget to rate us, review us, and recommend us to your friends. And if you want to read along, you can find a link to the books on our website. Oh, yeah. No, it needed to be <laughs> oh, uh, do we need to do beginning a different... of I Like Big Bus. Jenny started channeling that. But... <laughs> yes, you're right. I, I, oh, yeah. my God, Edris. Your pool is so big. <laughs>